Okay, got a few things to say, as usual. Um, we don't meet next week because I'm away, remember? We don't meet next week because I'm away. So we don't meet next week <laughs> because I'm away. Um, but we do meet the week after, which is something like the 27th, 28th of, of November. And then uh, we take the usual first week off, and then we have a Christmas party. So look at that beautiful card, carefully designed by Josh Record, Vanessa's son. Um, so uh, please take some cards. Julie's got some cards at the, at the back there. Please take some if you, can, if you are going to use them to invite people. The evening will be, it says here, uh, Mulled Wine, Mince Pies Fellowship. So all of that. But we will hopefully sing carols, some, not the whole evening, but, you know, some. There'll be a very short gospel message. So I really would love it if you brought people who don't know the Lord. Still come yourselves, because it's a, it's a party for us, but it's also a way. Christmas is so easy to talk about Jesus. People are very accepting at Christmas time. And so um, I don't want to waste the opportunity. So it's the 8th of December. It's a Friday. 8th of December, you can take the cards at the back. Don't tell me you're doing something better on, on a Friday night. What better could you do than that? So if whatever you're doing, cancel, <laughs> rearrange. Um, don't listen to Sheila. She's got something she's doing. but um, <laughs> Which is obviously more important. I can't think what. Oh, my goodness, that old thing. <laughs> No, anyway, please do, if you can come, please come. Bring family members, bring friends, bring anybody you know that needs to know the Lord or anyone who might like a mince pie and a glass of mulled wine. You know, yeah, I haven't had any yet. Oh, I tell a lie, I've had one. I can't have mince pies till December. So, I know, December is me. Here, it's here. Um, I'm hoping that someone will step forward who loves decorating for Christmas and say, I'd love to decorate this room for Christmas. I'm not looking at anybody, so I have nobody in mind. But if you like decorating and you have taste, step forward. <laughs> so now everyone says, no, no, that's not me. <laughs> anyway. Um, we won't put a Christmas tree up because there are people who don't like Christmas trees. Um, who, and it takes up a lot of space, yeah. Thank you, Sue. I'm going to say that in future. It takes up too much space. Perfect. Um, so, um, yeah, please do, please do uh, think about it. Bring someone along. Um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. We're going to move the chairs. We won't all have a chair. They'll be designed artfully like a nightclub. So you remember what they're like, Maureen. <laughs> yes, you do. I recognize a kindred spirit. Um, no, they're not how they used to be. But Yeah, no. I know. I know. Well, I'm hoping there'll be no room to move here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there won't be any chairs. You'll have to stand up for a while. There'll be chairs upstairs. You can sit upstairs. There will be a few chairs around, so for the old dodderers who can't stay up on their feet. 
And so if you admit to it, shame on you. <laughs> and um, we'll start at seven and finish whenever it finishes. So please come. It's free. Bring everybody you want. And um, that'll be fun. So we're not meeting next week. Christmas party. Um, we've got a new newsletter that went out. Um, it's online at the moment. And you should have been sent it. Were you sent it by email? Did you look at it? Yes. Did you click on the links? Yes. Did you notice spelling mistakes? Yes, they're there, of course, spelling mistakes, um, grammatical errors. So um, try to be kind and forgiving when you spot them, okay? It's a deliberate ploy to make sure you're honing your English skills. <laughs> Um, yeah, so anyway, we've got a new newsletter. I'm really excited about it because it will stop all the other little e uh, emails that are going out. We'll just be able to send one thing out a month and you can check everything out on there. If you haven't booked in for next year's things, you better do it because we're getting full. Um, I think already at Lindor's we've got 32 people booked. And it's not until March 34, not until March next year. So um, book in if you want to come. Um, anyone else got anything to say? Oh, Linda. Linda has the... Um, uh, yes. Yeah, Barbara brought it in to... Uh, oh, Barbara gave it to Linda to bring it in to show. Um, Jenny's at the back. Jenny's got uh, heavy weights on her shoulders, so you've got to breathe and lift your shoulders, Jenny. Uh, Rosemary's not well, so please pray for Rosemary and pray for Jenny, who's taking care of everything. Um, I'm sure other people are helping, so I'm not trying to leave anyone out, but, but Jenny is the primary carer for Rosemary. So please pray for Jenny. Um, there's all sorts of other issues to do with the people in this room. So if the Lord lays someone on your heart, please pray for them. Um, it's important because the people who smile a lot and are very chatty and happy may have a big issue going on inside. So pray and ask the Lord to show you which people he wants you to pray for and pray for them. So Father, um, thank you that you will do that. Thank you that you want us to pray for each other. Thank you that we are part of a fellowship, Lord, and that you have put us into this group. And and thank you, Lord, that... Um, that uh, you are in control of all those issues in our lives. Thank you, Father, that um, we can be here this morning. Um, I pray that we would make the most of it, Lord, that it would be an oasis and that we would think of it as such and treat it as such and know that when we come here, not only do we fellowship with one another, but we fellowship in a real tangible way with the living God through his word. And I thank you, Lord, that we can do that and ask you now to be honoured and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what we've seen so far, in no particular order, about the um, knowing peace in a world in a shaking world. What have you remembered from so far? Yeah, about trusting. Yeah. Yeah. As much as we can, yeah, yeah, yeah. What what has Jesus promised? We looked at some things that Jesus promised us uh, that we saw in the Gospels that He promised to His disciples and through them to us. What has He promised? Um, remember, we looked at John chapter six. 
Can you remember John 6? Mm. Rosemary saying, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we talked about what it means to eat of the bread of life. We're actually eating his flesh. That's what he says at the end of that chapter. He who does not eat my flesh and drink my blood can have no part of me. And he is talking about, because he's, he's, it's at the end of a chapter where he said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the food, the necessary sustenance that you need to uh, continue. Um, what else did he tell them in that um, in that kind of uh, chapter, when he said, I'm the bread of life, he told that to them in the midst of something that he did, a miracle. What was that? The loaves and the fish. He fed the 5,000. And what happened at the end of them feeding the 5,000 plus more? Because that 5,000 men that would have been. So there would have been many, many, many more people. So what... Um, 12 baskets left over and we kind of, we don't know for sure because it, it's not written there what that meant, but what do you think that might have meant for the disciples? What was he trying to tell them? No. Yeah. Only the bread was left over. And what, but why? Why specifically? Exactly, exactly. They're going to share that forward. And Jesus didn't say, I'm the fish of life. I'm the protein of life. I'm this, I'm that. What he said was, I am the bread of life. And I heard that talked about when I lived in Japan. I heard it uh, in a message. I can't remember who said it now. But when the person was talking to the Japanese people and trying to describe what Jesus was saying, he said to them, it's like if Jesus were here now, he would be saying to you, I am the rice of life, because it's almost as if the Japanese have a second stomach, an inner stomach. And if they don't have rice at every meal, including breakfast, they're hungry, because they expect rice is their staple thing. And they traditionally, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about, you know, every Japanese person on the planet, but that is traditionally. And that's what bread is for us. And that's what was for them. And that's what he's saying. I am the staple of your diet. I am. And, and he's going right back to where? Where is he going, taking their minds back to? Manna, the manna from heaven. When, G when God fed the Israelites in the wilderness, he fed them with manna that came from heaven. So um, it ties up, you know, that's Exodus all the way through to John's gospel. And he's saying, I'm the bread of life. I will be more than enough and I will always be more than enough for you. You take me out, you will have more than enough when you've finished. Um, what else in that same chapter did you see? John 6. Yeah, he's in the boat, or they were in the boat in the storm. He's gone off on his own. We cross-referenced it with Mark and Matthew, and we knew that he knew the storm was coming. He'd gone off to pray, and so uh, what were we learning from that? He comes to you. When you can't get to Jesus, because when your storm is too heavy and too great, he will always come for you. That, to me, is a, just an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. 
Um, he will never leave you alone and he will get into your boat. That's the thing. He will always come to you in the storm and he will ride the storm out with you. There's so many other things you could say from that because it says as soon as he got into the boat, they were where they wanted to go to. So miraculously, they got to, I think it was Capernaum they were going to. Um, and so as soon as he was there with them, they were where they were supposed to be. And it's that spiritually. It's because Jesus is in our boat now, here, right now. We are where we are supposed to be spiritually. But he will come to the storm. What did you hear, see from Isaiah 41? Do not be afraid. Why not? I am with you. And who is with you? God. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will be with you. I, uh, I will strengthen you by my, my righteous right hand. Um, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. And all of those verses down to verse 10 where that, that we've just quoted from talk about who God is. Who is God that we need not be afraid? He's the creator of all things. But just in those verses, in, in Isaiah 41, 1 to 9, he tells you a lot about himself, and then he finishes it with, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Um, he's the creator. He's the lifter of nations and the uh, deposer of nations. He's in charge of everything. So what are we supposed to take from all of this? You know, really... Because <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, to study? Um, it's really interesting. You get a lot of information. It's really all good, and it's all up there in our heads. But, but what does this mean to me? What does it mean to you? That Jesus is the bread of your life, that he is the staple of your diet, that if you have him, you have everything. What does that mean? Totally trust him. But what does it mean to you? You've got security, but what does it mean to you when you start to worry about will you have enough money into your old age? What does it mean to you when you start to think, well, you know, there's trials and difficulties going on in your family, and you say you're enough for me, Lord, but I'm struggling with this and that and the other thing. What does it mean to you? These are the things we need to be asking ourselves. You can't, we can't just take this information and let it stay up here and not apply it to the everyday reality of our life. You're completely covered. Now, let's just take your possessions. Jesus is enough. He will always be more than enough. He will always provide more than enough. There is no storm that you will go through where he won't come to you, where he won't be in your boat. Therefore, you do not fear, because he's the God who says, I am with you. So now you're looking at your bank balance. doesn't look too healthy, and you normally tithe to, a, to your church or to wherever. And really, I don't think I should this month, because actually, I don't have a lot coming in this month. I've had a lot of bills and a lot of expenses, and maybe I shouldn't give this month. These are the quite, this is where it matters. Jesus has said, I will always provide for you. Yes, I will always provide for you. Yeah. You know, it's those things. I'm not telling you how to give or how much to give or where to give or when to give. I'm not telling you any of it. I'm just saying, do you really believe that Jesus is enough? Then your whole life in every aspect should reflect that. Um... What else did he promise? What did um, God promise, Jesus promise, in Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 6? Hebrews 4, 
Where are you anchored? Well, Hebrews 6 talks about you, this hope we have as an anchor for our soul that, uh, because Jesus has gone within through the veil. So what does it mean that Jesus is the anchor for our soul? What difference does that make to you? Go ahead. You've got absolute security. Security in what? Yeah. The anchor's holding us fast. Where is the anchor? It's Yeah, but not just on some cloud somewhere, you know, in some whippity. It's right in the presence of God. It's in the throne room. It's right there where Jesus is. It's entered through the veil. That's what it says, the anchor. Yeah. In the light. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd said it, Maureen. I, I copied it from someone. Can't claim it. But yeah, it's a brilliant statement. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Yes, we do. We do. Hebrews 4.16 says um, that we um, can come boldly to his throne of grace to find help in our time of need. The reason we can come boldly to his throne of grace is because we're just climbing up the chains of the anchor, if you like. We're already there, in a way, because we're, we're anchored in heaven. So we're really literally just, you know, if you need a picture, you're just climbing up the, up the chains into the presence of God and you're asking for what you need. And the thing is, how confident are you that he will answer you? Yeah, but how, how, how confident are you that he will answer? Hmm? It says it's in his word. He will always answer the prayer asked according to his name. Always. You don't always get what you want, but you always get what you need what you need. That's the truth of it. Hello, Rosie. Um, okay, so um, there's so many scriptures we could um, go through, so many promises, so many everything. But what we're going to do uh, now is look at a real-life example of all of the above, everything that we've talked about so far. Um, and we're going to use the real-life example from scripture, of course. And so we're going to look at the book of Ruth. You all know the story of Ruth, I'm sure, but we're going to look at that um, because I think one thing that Ruth shows us, apart from loads of other things, is that, um, yeah, it's after Judges. You never expect it to be so far back, do you? You just expect it to be somewhere more forward, but it's not. It's just after Judges. Um, the thing that I think the predominant thing, well, the thing that I'm going to pull out of it for, for now is that the life of a believer doesn't always follow a straight, plain line, but it always leads to glory. So it doesn't always, it, the life of a believer is not a straight road, but it always leads to glory. Um, I was thinking about that and thinking about my recent holiday. You know, I went to Switzerland on a rail tour. You know all my remarks about rail tours. Um, but anyway, it was a brilliant holiday. And we took two ma main... We took everything was on a train, but there were two particular trains, the Glacier Express and the Bernina Express, which were just absolutely fabulous rail journeys. 
Uh, and I was thinking about this idea of the life of a believer doesn't go in a straight line, but it always leads to glory. Because when you arrive, well, uh, as you're going along on this, on this train, the train is going round bends, through tunnels, up over the top, down like this. Both trains are going like that. It's not exactly a, a roller coaster ride, but it could be like that. You're going through glaciers, you're going up mountains, in tunnels, out of tunnels, in another tunnel, out of tunnels. And I was thinking about the Book of Ruth and thinking, that is the story of the Book of Ruth. It is a road that leads round bends and into tunnels and up over mountains. And they don't always know where they're going, but in the end is glory. And so, yeah, um, I was thinking about this idea that if you're on a road even through the mountains, remember those old movies that used to have um, the cars going round... Um, where was it? Around the French Alps. These little yes. tiny cars and they'd sort of go around and you'd look over and there'd just be this sheer drop down to nothing. So it's that and the, this whole idea that life is a mountain road. It's not a direct motorway, four-lane highway. It is a mountain road with hairpin bends and long drops and mountainous and all of that. And we are supposed to navigate that road trusting that we're headed for glory. Yes. Yeah, yeah, see it all. Yes, 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 exactly. We saw that, Maureen, yes, yeah. Um, but, so, there's, yeah, so looking back, I hadn't thought about that, actually, Maureen. That's great, I'm going to put that in my notes, looking back. But on the way, on the mountain road or on the train, what you see are signs along the way telling you where you're going. And it's the signs in Ruth that I want to look at that were telling us through the story of Ruth where she was going. Um, so, what does Romans, before we look at um, Ruth, start to read Ruth, what does Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tell us? No, that's good, a bit lower down, but <laughs> it's a bit lower, but yeah. No. That's good too, but it's not that. Yes, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And it is that verse which you see played out in Ruth. It, amongst all the apparent setbacks of her life, you see God's hand causing all things to work together for good. So the story of Ruth begins, um, or really it's a series of disappointments. And in chapter one, what we read about is Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, and her husband and two sons being forced to leave Judah because of a famine. And they go to uh, the land of Moab. And um, then Naomi's husband dies. Um, her sons marry Moabite women, i.e. they marry outside of the uh, faith. And um, for 10 years, both of the women are barren, no children. So um, then her sons die. So I, I want you to picture Naomi, because most of the time we think that the book of Ruth is about Ruth. But actually the book of Ruth is about Naomi. So Naomi... Go, has to leave her homeland with her husband and her sons and she has to go to a foreign land. She gets to this foreign land and her husband dies. Her sons marry foreigners and they're barren, their wives. So no husband, sons married outside of the faith, 
wives with no children in a place that she doesn't want to be. And actually, you know how she feels about it because somebody read uh, Ruth chapter 1, 19 to 21, please. Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Yeah, so, uh, sorry, and 22, please. So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. Thank you. So, uh, Ruth, um, Naomi has decided to go back. You've got that wonderful statement that Ruth makes that she's going to go with her. But when Naomi gets back to Israel, how does she feel about her life? Bitter. bitter. That's what the name Mara means, bitter. That's her. And who does she think has afflicted her? God has afflicted her. So she is laying the blame squarely at God's door for all the stuff that has gone wrong in her, in her life. Um, what happens in chapter 2? Let's um, read the first um, seven verses of chapter 2. Someone read 2, 1 to 7. Thank you. Okay, um, let, we'll just read on a little bit. Someone else read verse 8 to verse 13, please. people that you 
Thank you. Someone else read 14 to 23, please. Thank you. Okay, so I want you to imagine you're watching this on the movie screen or on the TV screen, because what we're being presented with is a story. I mean, it's true, but it's a story. It's this. It's a. It's a love story, actually, isn't it? In some parts, it's a love story. So, as you go through chapter two, at the end of it, Naomi realizes that the man who's helped Ruth is actually a kinsman. Hiya, Michelle. So you would say, at the end of chapter two, Naomi, who came back bitter from Moab, starts to get a bit of hope up because Ruth has been looked after by this man, Boaz. Um, Naomi, because she is a typical uh, mother-in-law, wants her daughter-in-law married again. And you can see through this chapter that Ruth reporting about Boaz and reporting how kind he's been. You're hearing that Boaz knows about Ruth, knows about Naomi. So you get to the end of the chapter and you think, well, this is going to be good, perhaps. But he does, hasn't done anything yet. So what does Naomi do? She takes things into her own hands and she plots a, a course of action for Ruth. Okay, what does she tell Ruth to do, actually? Yeah, stay with him. And, and, and what? I mean, they actually, she tells her to make quite a risky move doesn't she? If you were watching this on the screen, you'd be quite excited for Ruth and, and for Naomi, but you'd be thinking, what's going to happen? Because what does Naomi actually tell Ruth to do? Three. Yeah. Go and lay at his feet. What does laying at his feet actually say to him? Here I am. <laughs> Here I am. I want to be yours. I want to be your wife. 
Now, that is a very risky move because Boaz has given no indication of anything except that he's an honourable man. He's an honourable man. He's looked after Ruth in this field. He's told his servants not to bother her. He's told the main servant to let her take whatever she gleans and and take it home with her. So he is an honourable man. And when you get into chapter 3, you start to see now Naomi wants to plot this out. She wants to make the end of her story good. Yeah, yeah. And so she tells um, Ruth, go and lay at his feet. So I want to just read, um, read, somebody read 3, uh, verse 1 through 11, please. No, no, hold on, sorry, we want to stop at verse 11. Okay, now I want you to imagine the adverts come on, (laughs) right? Daz or Purcell or something's being advertised. But you've got to this point of the story. She's laid at the feet of Boaz. It's been nerve-wracking because you're not sure how it's going to turn out. He's a bit merry, so what's going to happen? It's just like, oh my goodness, what am I seeing in front of my eyes? And then suddenly he turns over, sees her at his feet, says, what are you doing here? She says what she says. And he says, I know that you're a woman of excellence, and therefore I will do what you ask. Now, the adverts have come on. How are you feeling? Relieved. You're feeling relieved and happy. Why? Because he hasn't taken advantage. He's done the honourable thing. He's proving proving himself to be an honourable man all the way through. And it seems like Ruth is going to be happy. And who else is going to be happy? Naomi. 
because she's the one who set all this course in action. So you've gone to make a cup of tea and you've brought it back and you're sitting now, the adverts are finished and you're ready to watch the next part and here it is. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will not redeem you, good. If he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning." How are you feeling now? It's like this huge boulder has appeared in the road. It's like, I thought we were going on and he's, he's, he was going to marry her and it was so great. And I was getting ready for the dress and the party. And now he's saying there's someone closer than me who has the right to redeem. And we're thinking, no, no. <laughs> We want you. You're the honorable man. You know, we want Boaz. This is what I want to think about because this is a story being played out, but it's a true account. And actually, this is a true of our lives. We go on and we, we start off. Naomi had a wife, a husband and two sons. And then she has to leave her home because of bad fortune. So maybe you could liken it to your husband loses his job or you lose your job or you lose your livelihood. And now you've got to pack up your belongings and on a rolled rickety truck, you've got to drive off somewhere else and start again. And you do it. You do it trusting that God will be with you. And you get to the new place and your husband dies. And then your sons who you brought up in the faith to be God-fearing men marry Moabite women, foreigners. And you're thinking, God, where are you? I'm honoring you. I'm, doing, I'm trusting that you're going to do good. You say you cause all things to work together for good. He hasn't said that yet, but, but that's what you're saying. You say that that's what you do. Well, where is the working together for good? And so Naomi, when the sons die, and the daughter-in-law, she wants them to go and stay off. Uh, Ruth says she's going to go with Naomi. They come back to Judah, and she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has been against me. And that's how we feel. Where are you, God? Maybe not he's been against me, but where are you? How could you let this happen? How could you leave me like this? Because remember, Naomi is a widow in Israel. Widows have nothing. She had nothing but a daughter-in-law who was going into fields to get up the scraps after the harvesting. This is where she was. And if we could see this on a screen, we would understand it. Do you remember watching The Grapes of Wrath, that movie? You probably, it's, it's a very, it was old even in my time. It was very old. But it's a really fabulous picture of what this would have been like. Because these are itinerant uh, pickers having to move around to make their living. And that's what we're being shown here. And then onto the scene comes this wonderful man. And he's not too young and he's not too old. and He's got money and he's got fields. And he's probably handsome. You know, in the movie, he would have been handsome. <laughs> and then, and, and, and Ruth, he looks after Ruth and he does the honorable thing. And then Naomi says, right, right, this is the one. This is the one. Psh, he's our kinsman. Lay at his feet. And you think, verse 11, it's like cheering. You've made your cup of tea, you've come back, you're expecting good things, and suddenly he says there's someone else. And your heart sinks, and that's life. That's life. Everyday life is like that. You get up, 
and then you go down, and then you're up, and then you're down, and you think you've just turned a corner and got rid of all that stuff, and oh, praise God, praise God, hallelujah, everything's fine. And then you turn the next corner, and there's another rock in the road. So let's carry on. <laughs> so let's carry on. Verse 14, somebody read uh, verse 14. Um, 2, sorry, 2.17, please. No, Okay, so Naomi still has hope. She's not quite sure. There is still, apart from this boulder in the road, there is still another dark cloud that we've forgotten. What's the dark cloud that we've forgotten that is going to rear its head in the next chapter? What's the truth about Ruth and her husband? They had no children. Had no children. So it looks like Ruth is barren. And children are gold dust in this society. So there's still that cloud. So even though the road's gone on and we've been happy at that she's going to get married, because that's all we're bothered about, really, that she gets married. Um, then we have that other boulder in the road. There's another redeemer. But there's all still that overhanging cloud. Now, I want you to think about it, really. I just don't want it to be a, you know, I mean, it is fun, but I don't want it to be only fun. I want us to see that this is what God is telling us about life. Life is always like this. That's what this planet is like. It is never a straight road, ever. And if it is a straight road to the door, you get outside the door and it twists around suddenly and out the bend and, and then, or there's a rock in the middle of it or there's a, some sort of tree falling over in it and you, you've got to spend months getting rid of that. That's what it is like. But what's, what's the truth about our expectations as humans? Exactly. We think life should be a straight road. <laughs> And when it's not, what do we do? Complain. We're complaining. Or at the very least, we're wondering, why? Why not? But the, the whole purpose of these stories in the Bible is to show you, actually, if your road happens to be straight and smooth for a few years, that's unusual. That's not normal. So it's, it's this complete, Sue said it, one of the things that I think, what we've been trying to do is to look at the world from God's perspective. This world is not how it's supposed to be. It is winding roads for us, even though we know the Lord. It is. And there are rocks and boulders and blockades in our road. And it takes time to get through them. And they hurt. And they're a pain and a burden. But don't keep thinking that life is supposed to be smooth. Because that's a deception and a dream. 
So we, um, we're going to get into chapter 4. There's still a couple of clouds. There's a big cloud that we can see. It's right there, or a boulder, and it's right there in front of us. And that's this fact that there's another man closer in relatives, closer kinsmen. And behind that one, there is another boulder, which is that Ruth is barren. So let's go through chapter 4 and see. Um, somebody read 4, um, 1 through 6, please. Okay, stop just for a second, sorry. Okay, where are you now? Okay, you've just slipped off the sofa, the tea's spilled everywhere, and you're thinking, no, no, not him, not him. You know, he doesn't look very honourable to me. Okay, sorry, I, I can't help the dramatic effect, so <laughs> carry on. There you go. Now, in case you might think that this is a very dishonourable man who doesn't want to redeem it as soon as he hears he's got to have Ruth, it could be he's got his own wife and his own children and he doesn't want to have a son by Ruth or a child by Ruth and have to give that child the name of Naomi because that's what would have to happen. That's what this is all about. And so he says, no, he doesn't want to redeem the land nor Ruth. He, he didn't mind having the land, but he didn't want the wife as well. And so he says to Boaz, you redeem it. But so now, again, excitement. Wow, that's wonderful. Boaz can redeem her. That's great. He's the one. We want her to marry him. But all the time, remember, there's supposed to be a child for the deceased. And there can't be a child because Ruth is barren. At least that's the way the story has taken us. So, um, so let's carry on. Verse 7 through to verse... Um, uh, ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. Yeah, to verse 12, please. Someone read 7 to 12.
Thank you. Okay, so you see, we've been building and building and building. There's been boulders and turns and cliff edges and all sorts of things. And we get to this point, we think it's all going to be fine because Boaz is going to redeem her. But suddenly, now, this fact of the child is taking prominence in the story. And that bold, that cloud that was overhead that we kind of forgot about because we were involved in the love story, suddenly takes center stage because it is important that in, in these days that A, he has children and B, Naomi has a child to carry on the name of her husband. Um, so what would you say about this story so far? This account, up and down, yeah, up and down. Okay, anything else? Definitely, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, except that in the first chapter we're told that they were barren, the the um, the Ruth and the other Mobates. So I'm assuming everyone thinks it's the women who are barren. So there is that going on. Yes, I mean, that's another kind of tie, uh, thread in the story, isn't it? I don't know how much Naomi thought about that. Uh, or was she just thinking to get her daughter-in-law married, especially to a man who um, obviously had means um, and would look after them? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you, you, you think this up and downs and curves and twists. Okay, what about your life now, today, your life or for the last year? Put your life in this story that's what you have to do. That's what this is all about. We take the truths of this chapter, we understand what God, this book, what God was telling us through this book, and we cross the bridge of time, someone else told me that, cross the bridge of time with it, take the principles from it, and apply it to your own life, or apply it to the society we live in. How would you say your life has gone for the last 10 years? <laughs> and when you thought you had victory, and you were coming out into the light. What happened? You came to another tunnel, and it was dark, and you didn't know how long it was going to go on for. And then you came out into the light, and it was wonderful, and you turned a corner, and then suddenly there was this huge boulder in the road. And you had to find out, how am I going to get through that? How's that going to be moved? Really, I would say to you, when you go home, write out the, the events of the last 10 years of your life, and plot them against this. Because it's really important that we just don't read the Book of Ruth like a love story, like a TV or a movie program, and that we understand there's a message in there for us. And the message is, we're going to read now in the last few verses, the message of the Book of Ruth is, life is not an easy, smooth, straight road, but it always leads to glory. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And even through all of this, even though she meets Boaz, even though we think that's the best, even though we think, wow, that's amazing. Remember, this is not a story about Ruth. It's a story about Naomi. Because the, it will finish with Naomi. Read on. Somebody read 13 to 17, please.
Thank you. Can you see what I mean? This is a story about Naomi. It's not a story about Ruth. Ruth is there and everything about her we can pick things from, but this is the story of a woman who has gone from absolute tragedy to blessing at the end. And um, I just want to, before we take a break, we'll take a break in a minute, but I just want to make sure that we plot that and remember it. Go back to uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, and read that verse, because that's the way God introduced Naomi to us. That's how he, she is shown to us. R Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, read that. Ruth 1, 20. Thank you. So how would you say that the story begins? In bitterness and loss. It begins in bitterness and loss. Naomi has lost her husband. She's lost, well, first of all, she's gone back to her homeland, but initially she lost her homeland, she lost her husband and her two sons. So it, end, it's, it began in loss and bitterness. And how does it end? Chapter 4, verse, um, uh, let's say, 14 and 15. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Um, and then on to seven. So how does the story end? With Naomi, just look at Naomi. It begins in bitterness and loss and it ends in gain and joy. What do you think God might want you to understand through the story of Naomi, the story of Ruth? Just one thing, what do you think he might want you to understand? That the best is yet to come. That, that you can look at your life in the everyday details of your life as Naomi did that the Almighty is against me. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm bitter and this and that. And, and you can look at your life like that. And you can live your life like that. Keeping your eyes focused down, looking at what's going on around you. Un and, and in human terms, the reality is it is bad. It is bad. But the whole book is saying to you, get your eyes off of here and lift them up here and believe, Romans 8, 28. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then God causes all things to work together for your good because you love him and are called according to his purpose. So we get to the end and she has this story. And, and that's the end, if you like, that's the destination, isn't it, of Naomi? She's gone from nothing to everything. He is a redeemer for her, a restorer of life and a sustainer of her old age. So what would you say Naomi had forgotten at the beginning of the book? Ruth 1 verse 20. She had forgotten the promises of God and... Yes, that's true. But what is she not... Yes, yeah, she did. She did. And yet she is part of the people of God. So the people of God, the true people of God, are always blessed by God. 
So, but think about it. What does she think in the beginning? She's, or what does she forget in the beginning? Don't you think she forgets how fantastically powerful God is? that she's just looking at her circumstances and seeing that they're not good and forgetting that my God can do the impossible. He can do all things. Nothing is impossible for God. Okay. And what else has she forgotten? Mm. To go. Yeah. Yeah. Stays. Yeah, we're going to look at those points, actually, Linda. That's really true. Yeah, we are. What, she's forgotten the greatness of God. She's forgotten his power. What else has she forgotten? His purpose. She's forgotten that God has a plan and a purpose for every single person who knows him. You've come to the Lord Jesus. You've believed in Jesus. Then he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it will always go to glory. There is no doubt about it. You, what is it we've looked at all the way through? Jesus saying, I'm more than enough. I'm the bread of life. You'll have an abundance left over. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Do not be afraid. Whatever life throws at you, however many turns there are in your road, I am walking it with you and we are going to glory. See what I mean? It, she had forgotten that. She had forgotten how good, how powerful God is she had forgotten that there's a plan and a purpose and what else yeah she blamed him she did well that's what we do sometimes too but what else had she forgotten about God Mm. there's a reward but about God what had she forgotten about God she'd forgotten how great he was that he could do the impossible she'd forgotten that there's always a plan and a purpose and she'd forgotten That's true, that's true, but she had forgotten that God is in control. He is sovereign, and he is in control. He is in control of your life and all of the details of it. Um. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. and isn't that what Job did I know that you're a righteous God I know that you're a blessing God I understand all of that I know that you're powerful I know that this but why is this happening to me and that's a human reaction all of the time and that's what I think the whole Bible is telling us don't ask why that's, this is what happens in this life ask how How can I keep going? How can I go on honouring you? How can I live through this in a way that won't deny my faith and will lift up the name of Jesus? How can I do that? And the only reason you would even ask how you can do that is because you really believe that God will bless you through that. See, if you don't believe that God will cause all things to work together for your good, you will not ask how you will spend your whole life asking why. Why? Why does this happen to me? Why this? Why that? Why the other thing? And that's normal. That's human. There's no shame in that. We all ask that question. 
Of course, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. We ask those questions. Why haven't you fixed this, Lord? Why is this not done? Why is this person still sick? Why is that happening? Why did this person die? Why did that have to happen? Why did it have to happen to me when I've tried to live for your glory all my life? Why? Why? That's normal human reaction. And all of the time, God is saying to you, will you believe that I will cause even this, even this, to work together for your good? Will you believe that I will make, I will bring, what is it? Uh, joy out of mourning. What is it? Something from ashes. Beauty from ashes. Will you believe I'll bring beauty from ashes? Will you believe there'll be joy in the morning? That's the thing, isn't it? All the time. It's will you believe? And it's, we say we believe. But it's when the road turns and when there's a boulder and when there's a steep cliff that we think we're going to fall over, we just panic and forget about God. And that's what my Naomi did. She didn't do it in a panic like you you would think, but she forgot how great God is. He always has a purpose and a plan for our lives and he is in control. He is the sovereign, most high God and full of loving kindness. Um, yeah, praise God. Um, I think I think there's so many things about the book of Ruth and we're going to go back to it and go through it and see how God acted uh, through this whole thing because you don't it, you could you could just see this as the, as a as a sort of life story and not see the work of God through the whole story. And I think that's really important. So we will take a break, and we'll come back about quarter past 12. uh, No, quarter past 12, quarter past 11. (laughs) Father, thank you that um, you are a great and holy God. Thank you that you are the sovereign most high God. Thank you that you are in control, and that you have promised that those who love you can be sure that you cause all things to work together for good. And uh, Lord, I and thank you too that that sentence ends who love you and are called according to your purpose. You have a purpose and a plan and we are involved in that purpose and plan. And I thank you for it, Lord God. And ask now as we go through and, and pick up the signs that you gave us in the book of Ruth, that you would help us to see the signs in our own lives and keep our eyes lifted up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, we said, I think, that uh, she'd forgot, uh, Naomi had forgotten the greatness of God, the power of God. She'd forgotten that um, uh, God has a purpose, for her, had a purpose for her life, and she hadn't been able to lift her eyes on the journey. And I think that's true of most of us, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah. You, know, well, you, know, you did something wrong. Mm. 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 Yeah, yeah. Did everyone hear that? I'm not saying your name because we're on the recording, but um, did everyone hear that? Um, that there are lots of churches who teach that when you come to Jesus, everything will be great in your life, that um, there'll be no more problems, no more difficulty, and that is uh, a lie from Satan because what happens is you come and you and you come to Jesus and you receive his spirit and then you start to find bad things happen. This life is full of bad stuff. 
And, but what happens is you feel guilty because you're told that your life's supposed to be smooth now, no problem. So you start to have this guilt that your faith is not strong enough or that you've believed the wrong thing or that you've gone the wrong way, something's happened. And so that really is a great deception and it takes years to, to get over. So if you know people like that, spend time with them, talking to them. Um, yeah. Okay, so if, if, you, if, you want, if you met Naomi at the beginning of the book or at the beginning of the story and you knew the end from the beginning, what would you want to say to Naomi? It will be all right in the end. It will be all right in the end, yeah. And on what basis would you say that? Because you are forgetting not only his power, not only his plan, not only his um, uh, control, but you are also forgetting his grace. He is a God of grace. And you and I as believers, or in her case, as the people of God, we are the recipients of the grace of God. That means that every single thing in your life, God will work for good. It doesn't mean that he'll take the bad stuff away, as you all know, but it does mean that he will cause it to work together for good. So I want to go back to the beginning of the story then and see how God worked for Naomi's good, even though she couldn't see it. So um, what's the first thing that you could say um, that he did to turn a setback into a good thing. He gave her Ruth. Okay, so when Naomi's life seemed to cave in, when her husband had died and her sons die, um, it was God who gave Ruth to Naomi. How do you know that? You know it because the reason Ruth gave for going with Naomi was what? And your God, my God. So look, then behold your sister. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. It is God who um, turned Ruth's heart or caused Ruth to come to him. R Ruth is not following Naomi. She's following Naomi's God. That's the thing. So, um, in the very first instance, um, God gave Ruth to Naomi because um, he, he caused Ruth to believe in the God of Israel. Okay, um, second thing, chapter 2, verse 12. Um, ch yeah, chapter 2, verse 12. Where did they go to? They, they, they left home and family. Uh, they, they left Moab. They went back to Israel. Ruth left everything to follow Naomi, or rather to follow Naomi's God. And they were coming back to Israel to do what? Escape. Well, no, they, they left Israel to escape the famine, went to Moab. So they're going back because Naomi's got nothing at all, absolutely nothing. But what's the reality? Boaz says it to Ruth in chapter 2, verse 12. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. 
What have Naomi and uh, Ruth done when they go back to the land of Israel? They've come under or into the refuge of God, under the wings of God. Now, I just think about that. That's, we can't fully understand what that was like. Naomi goes home to the place where God chose for his name to dwell. She go, went home to where God was, basically. She went home to the, to the, um, to the place of God's people. Now, think about it. Her husband has died. Her sons have died. The wives have got no children. It didn't say that she was barren in chapter 1. It's an inference all the way through. So sorry about that. I think I said it said that she was barren. It, but it's an inference all the way through. And you get it in the end, chapter 4, where it says God enabled her to conceive. Um, but uh, no children. No, This is for Naomi. No grandchildren. No children. No husband. And she's going back to her land. Now, ask the question, how will that apply to you? If you are part of the people of God, i.e. the church, and you hit hard times, where is the very best place for you? In God, in under, in, under his wings, in his, uh, into his refuge, in fellowship. If you hit hard times of any description, God works through the fellowship of believers. That's what he does. He works through fellowship. There is no point in trying to tough it out alone or even to tough it out with God. So, okay, you've broken with your church, you've broken with your fellowship because you've had some good years and you thought it was all going to carry on that way and you were having a high time. And then suddenly life happened and you're, you're now struggling as Naomi was struggling. The only thing to do is to go back into fellowship, go back to where the people of God are, to where the word of God is, is taught and spoken and shared, to where people pray for one another, to where they fellowship with one another. You know, that's the only place. It's the only place. Because yes, God will get you through, but he gets you through by the hands and the hearts and the hugs and the, of other believers. That's how he does it. So if you don't go into the fellowship of believers, I know people who say to me, I don't like the church. <laughs> I just don't like going to church. I don't like Christians much. I like Christ. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. There's so many people like that. Well, shame on you Christians. That's what I say. Shame on you. If there are people, believers, who say they don't like being with other believers, there's something wrong. Because we should be a group that people want to be a part of. Okay, they might not be able to be a part of it for various reasons. Maybe they work or they do something they can't come, but they, we should be a group of people that actually people long to be a part of. And why will they long to be a part of our group? Because we're the in-group. No. Why will they long to? Because as Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. And the sort of love we are to have for one another, this is a little plug for the um, 12 Days of Christmas series that's going to go out for the 12 Days of Christmas from us. Um, on the website. Yes, video, no less. I've got to get my, I've got to change clothes probably in between each session. No. <laughs> I won't. I'm just going to wear the same old stuff. So tell people I don't wear that all the time, whatever it is that I wear. Anyway. Yeah, different scarf. Yeah, yeah, change the lipstick colour. Anyway, yes, because that's part of it. All men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. And that is not love your neighbour as yourself. 
That's not that love. Jesus says that the love, uh, you're to love one another with the love that I have for you. Jesus had for them. What was his love? Yeah, no, but what did that mean? What was his love? Yes, unconditional, but what was his love? His love was a love that gave himself up. Now, that's what fellowship is. It's not just getting together and having a nice cup of tea and hug, and I'll pray with you, and then I'm going home, and I'm going to forget all about you while you go home to your empty house with nobody to talk to. That's not what that is. I know, sorry. Yeah. But that's not what it is. It's, it's giving yourself for, up for someone else. That's the love he told people. That Then all men will know you're my disciples when you love one another that way. When you are willing to give up yourself for one another. So that's a wholly different thing. So anyway, um, God has uh, caused Ruth to come into the, want to be a part of... Um, uh, want to worship Naomi's God, uh, Naomi's God and go where she goes. So they go back, they get back. Naomi is still bitter, but um, they've come back to take refuge under his wings. And then in verse 20, what, what do you see? Chapter 2, verse 20. Yes. May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And again, Naomi said to her, this man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. Thank you. So they get back to Israel. Naomi realizes that she's that Ruth has been gleaning in Boaz's field and she starts to realize or I don't know if she realizes it fully but we start to realize through this story that God has been at work all the way along. He's been at work. Why did Ruth glean in Boaz's field? Exactly. Why why is she in that field? Why does she happen to be in that field? Why is, she, why is Boaz an honourable man and not a dishonourable one? Because God's God. And all the way along, even though Naomi has been oblivious to his working, there's signs all the way along. And this is the second sign. First, Ruth goes with her. Second, she happens on the field of Boaz and starts gleaning from there. Um, what has God been doing? How old is Boaz? Probably middle-aged. How do you know that? You haven't gone after younger men, he says to Ruth. So Ruth is young and he's not. Okay, so what do you know about Boaz? What has God been doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, God has preserved him for Ruth. She's kept him. God's kept him for Ruth. He could have been married Men got married, especially wealthy men. They could have had any wife they want, but he's not married. So he's preserved Boaz for her. What about the, the state of his character? Honourable. Thoroughly honourable. What else? He doesn't exploit his servants. He's a man of integrity. He's a man that the Old Testament writes about. He's a man who follows God. He's a man who knows God and who wants to live according to God's rules. And this is the man that God has kept for Ruth and for Naomi, actually, for Naomi's 
Um, okay, Ruth chapter 4, verse 11 to 3, uh, 13, sorry. So, um, uh, Naomi owes God the love of Ruth. She owes God the preserving of Boaz and the keeping him an honourable man. And then what? Verse 11 to 13 of chapter 4. Who was it who gave the son to, or who enabled Ruth to have a child? God. It's God who enables Ruth to have a child. Ruth, who hasn't had a child in all these years, married to one of um, the sons of Naomi. Suddenly it says God enabled her to have a child. God gave the child. Hmm and opening wombs. So, look at the signs. When Naomi lost her husband and her sons, what did God do? He gave her Ruth. Do you think she saw God's hand in that? No, not at the time. Okay. All around, yeah. Um, when Naomi needed someone to hold up the family name, what does God do? Provides Boaz. He provides Boaz. And he's not just provide. Oh, oh, now let me look around. Let's see if I can find an honourable man here. Is there an honourable man here? I'm not sure. Keith, there, there's an honourable man. No, you know this because you know the background, you know the context, you know how it was in those days. You know that. But why was Boaz not married? Why would he take Ruth and raise up a child for Naomi? The enormity of that escapes us. His, this child is not necessarily going to take his name. This child is going to take Naomi's husband's name, or their, son, their son's name, the family name. So God does that. When Baron Ruth marries, yeah? Probably. I think that women didn't have many rights. Yeah, I think it had to be son to son, you know, man to son, son to son. I, women had no rights, really. I'm not quite sure on whether she could have kept the land and farmed it, but she had nothing. Remember, she'd come back from Moab with nothing apart from the two of them. So, yeah, I'm not sure, Keith, to be honest. No, probably it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know who wrote Ruth? No, maybe Moses. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who wrote it. No. God wrote it ultimately, but through whose hand, I don't know. Mm. 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 No, and also, also the son through um, Ruth's husband would not have been uh, an Israelite because the Israelite is from the mother, not from the father. Um, all the ramifications of that, I'm not sure of, but I think it plays out in her 
in her story. Who gives Ruth the child? God gives the child. But that's not the end of the story, is it? That's not the end of the story. And actually, Christine came up and we were talking about it. Because actually, I started with the idea that everything, the road we're on leads to glory. It's a glorious road. We walk with a glorious king and we're headed for glory. But just a grandmother having a baby is not really very glorious, is it? You know, well, not the grandmother having the baby, but the daughter-in-law having the baby. (laughs) But the glory is in the last two sentences. Because what we're shown in the last two sentences is beyond. Exactly. It's beyond. So somebody read verse 18 to 22, please. Okay, so do you see what's happened here? What has happened at the end in these last two sentences? What's happened in this story? Yeah, I want you to think in dramatic movie style. What's happened? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there were little signposts all the way along the road. But I want want you to think, you know, you remember the movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told, and Ben-Hur, and Moses, and the Ten Commandments, and all those. You know, what we're supposed to be seeing here is that this little story of a woman and her daughter, and meeting a man, and him being doing the right thing, and God being at work in there, that little story, that little story, and there's Chris's story. Okay, there's Chris's story. She goes off, she's bitter. She's got a daughter-in-law she didn't want, but she's got to go back to Stroud with her. And she goes back, and the daughter-in-law's barren, and then suddenly there's a man, and okay, he looks like a good man, so he's going to have a child. Now I've got a grandson, that's brilliant, that's wonderful. But God doesn't leave it there. See, what God tells you, Chris, and what he tells Naomi is, you are part of a purpose you cannot even imagine. It's like this huge opening up of time, of the history of the world. And you've been a part of it. Sorry to pick you, Chris, but you were right there. You've been a part of it. We are all part of it. Part of it. We are part of a great cosmic plan of God. That's what I can't get over in this story. That that all the little details of my life that I'm trying to piece together and remember God works all things together for good for those who love him called according to his purpose and I know he's got a plan and a purpose for my life what is that purpose? oh I know that purpose is that I tell people about Jesus okay I'll tell people about Jesus and you know that's great that's great but really is that all there is? no there's something so much bigger so much bigger in the plan and the purpose God has for your life that you will never ever see until the day you go to be with him. And that's what's so amazing about Ruth, about the book of Ruth, that there's, a, there's, an, there's her story where God's working all things together for good. But then there's this cosmic story, this huge ocean of a story that is so much more than hers. And she never will understand it. Never. Naomi didn't know what what Boaz's son would go on to be. She had no idea. She had no idea that his son would be king of Israel. 
or that from David would come the Messiah. Can you imagine Naomi? It's just incredible. So, why do you think God shows us this? Why do you think we've seen this in this book of Ruth? Go ahead, Wendy. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, he, he does exceedingly abundantly. That's true. Why else? He's so much bigger. Yes. No, the famine was in Israel. That's why they went to Moab. And there in Moab, they met the two women. So I don't know why they died. Because there was famine in Israel. So when her sons died and her husband died, Naomi said, I'm going home. I'm going home. Mm. No, no, sorry. You said that they died because they didn't eat. There was no fa famine in Moab, but there had been famine ten years before in Israel. Mm. Um, okay, so what else then? God does exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you ask or imagine. What else? Because the whole point of this story is not even Naomi now. It's not Naomi, it's not Ruth, it's not Boaz. It's Jesus. The whole point of this story is Jesus. Because it ends with David, the first king of Israel, and you know that David is the ancestor of Jesus through his line, Jesus. So what is the whole purpose of your life? Jesus. Jesus is the purpose of your life. He is the purpose. You are called by God into the purpose of God through Jesus Christ. He is now at work in you. He lives in and through you. He will make himself known through you. you he will cause you to do things you can't imagine. Of course, he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you ask or think. Yes, he will. He will. For your life, he will do those things. But his eye is not just on your life. His eye is on how you, your life fits into this huge, glorious picture of the life of Christ as he is manifested through you and around you and by the church and by everyone else. I can't even put words to the enormity of this fact that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He works all things for good for those who love him. What is the good for you? What would be the good for you? What would be the best for you? What would be the best thing that God could ever do for you? Give you Jesus and make you like him. Make you like him. Why? Because Jesus is glorious. Because everything about him is fantastic. Because he is more than we can even imagine. Because he will take us to places we can't even imagine we would go. He will do things through us that we can't imagine he would do. He will affect people's lives through us. And we won't even know it. Do you see what I mean? So, 
all the way along through this study, all these weeks, we've been saying, keep your eyes off here and put them on God. Take your eyes off here and put them on God. And that's what I want to say. God will bless you. Of course, he's already blessed you. You're sitting here. You're reading his word. You know Jesus. You haven't walked through any situation alone. He's always been there whether you knew it or not. He's been there and he's brought you through this tunnel and you're out the other side. You may not know, but you're out nearing to the end of that tunnel. You are there and he will continue and you will come out into the glorious light of day. And in all of that, he will be using you. And when you get to heaven and you stand before him and you're thinking, what have I ever done? What have I ever done for Jesus? And I don't know that I want to see him because I've failed miserably. He's going to say, well done. Because what did you do? You stuck to him and you, mo- you deliberately did everything you could to move your eyes from here up there. And you heard one day, I'm part of the plan and the purpose of God and he will do great things through me. And you decided, I believe God. I believe God. I don't believe everything else. I believe God. I can't believe it myself. Do you know what I mean? I can because I've got to, haven't I? I'm saying it. But you know what I mean? It's too glorious, isn't it? It's too glorious to, to imagine that he would use people like us. And that one day we'll see him and he'll say, you persevered, you were steadfast, you endured the most difficult situation that you thought you would never got, get through. But you hung on to my hand and you walked through with me and look where you are now. You are in glory and you made me glorious on the way. You manifested my glory to the people who saw you. I just, honestly, I just can't even, yes. Mm. Definitely. Well, it's a wonderful blessing because he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to give you the understanding of that, but he does. Definitely. 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 And I think, because I don't want to even finish there because... That's a given in this story. Ruth and Naomi were used in ways they would never understand. They were just used by God in ways they could never understand. I think there are only two, is it two or three, Gentile women in the line of Christ. Ruth is one of them. Rahab is one and Ruth is one. And there are only two in the line of Christ, I think. Um, And she would never know that. And Naomi would never know that that the little boy she held on her lap would be the great-grandfather of David, who would then be an ancestor of Christ. Can you even imagine Naomi's genes in the physical human body of Christ? You can't imagine it. So, um, But I don't even want to stop there, because I don't think it stops there. What I want to 
want us to do is move across to our day and say, okay, how do people spend most of their time? You see, if you don't see the great glorious plan of God and believe yourself to be a part of it, you spend your whole life on trivia, thinking about trivia, thinking about stuff that doesn't actually matter, measuring yourself in, in ways that just don't don't really matter. I, I, I was thinking about it because, do you remember, I don't know if you, they sell them in shops here, but when we were overseas, we used to buy every Christmas time. Is everything okay? We used to buy every, every Christmas time wooden figures, you know, they're like alpine figures. They've got instruments and they, and my husband loved them they used to, and he used to collect them, you know, and you can go into Christmas shops and find them. You know Christmas shops, you go in and they've got all these little figures. I feel like most of the time we spend our lives in a, in a Christmas shop. Do you know what I mean? And we, um, we're, we're thinking of ourselves as little figures and we're all part of this, you know, or we're going in there, we're picking up this one. Oh, that's really nice. and putting that one down and no, I want that one. We spend all of our time thinking about and doing things that are completely trivial. Completely trivial. And don't you think that's what the world's doing? When you look at the world and you look at what we've got on the news and what we're listening to and all of this. Alan, my husband read out something to me yesterday or... I think, to say, he read something in the newspaper, it might have been this morning, he said, um, some journalist had written, transgenderism is a fad, we'll all be over it soon. It's just a fad at the moment. And it made me think on the way down here, is it just a fad that we'll go through and people will put it down? Is it another toy that has been picked up to keep all our attention on that? Fighting that battle, doing that thing? Do you know what I mean? Because it didn't seem very long ago when it was homosexual marriage that was the problem. And now we're on to transgenderism. And it's all like, what's, what's going on? What is consuming my thinking and my mind and my anger and my righteous anger and this and that? What is it all about? And I just can't help thinking. It's all trivia. I don't mean that in and of itself it's not important. Of course it is. But... It's just taking us from the main cosmic purpose and plan of God. What is his plan? His plan is that you and I manifest the name of Jesus. That in everywhere we go, in every place we talk, and everybody we meet sees Jesus through us. Sees his grace and his truth. Do you see what I mean? And I think that that's what the book of Ruth wants to tell us. God is at work. He's always at work. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 3 tells you what? That the surpassing, chapter 1, sorry, surpassing greatness of God's power is at work towards us. His great power is at work towards us. It, in chapter 3, it tells us in verse 10 that his manifold wisdom is made known through the church. Can you see what I mean? His power is at work towards us. His wisdom is made known through us. And we're spending our time fiddling about with toys and trivia and things that are not important. I don't know. I don't know. But it does bring me to the final thing that I want to say. Well, I'm early today, which is amazing. First of all, as we said earlier, the best is yet to come. That's the one thing through the book of Ruth. The best is yet to come. As you go through life, bad stuff happens. Storms happen, and when they happen, remember, the best is yet to come. Pain happens. 
confusion happens, chaos happens. Remember, when you can't see the wood for the trees, the best is yet to come. When everything is spiraling around and you can't manage to see anything at all, when life is just a long, dark tunnel, remember, the best is yet to come. I could go over and over and over and over again. You put in, you fill in the lines. But I don't want really to end there because I want to ask and really, yeah, you can see it. I wrote it down in pencil on my notes because it came to me at the last minute. What is the ultimate purpose of God in all of the book of Ruth? Redemption, that's one thing. Keep on. Keep on keeping on, yeah. But what I see as the ultimate purpose of God in the book of Ruth is what I've just said, that you are part of a plan and a purpose you cannot see. And he wants you to know it. And he wants you to know that all the way through your life, he is doing things and planning things and working things in order for you to be part and successful and prosperous in his vision, in his purpose and plan. Not just for your life, but for the life of the whole universe. Through you. Through you. He's shaping your future and he's shaping the future of the world through you. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And he was working through what? People, but in what? Sorry, not it through. In through sadness, in situations that looked from a human perspective as very, very bad. He was shaping a purpose and a plan that none of them could see. I want to come away with that today, that in my life, in all of the details of my life, which can sometimes be very horrible, I want to come away with that thought that there is something going on I cannot imagine, something bigger. I am part of something bigger and God will bring it into fruition. But also, what is the other thing that God, do you think God might be showing us in, Ruth? Because we're part of something bigger, a purpose and a plan of God that he has for us individually, corporately and beyond. What else is true? It's hard, I know. That's, even I don't understand my questions. So. <laughs> I'm just thinking, how can I answer that? I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got the answer, but not the question, you see. Okay. Yes. Okay. So what are you, what was the, what were you, what did Jesus say to his disciples that he was leaving them on the planet to do? Go into all the world and make disciples. Can I finish the sentence? Teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. Finish the sentence. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, that is your and my commission. That's it. That's it. Everything else in your life is secondary to that. I, of course, God's first, but do you know what I mean? In the doing, everything else is secondary. If we don't take our eyes off the road and put them on God, we will never fulfill the commission for which we've been left here. We won't, because life will be all about me. It will be, how can I honour God in this? How can I glorify God in this? Which is a good thought, but it will never be, wow, God, what are you doing through this? It must be fantastic, because this is so terrible. I'm, I'm, that sounds facetious. I don't mean it like that. 
but keep your eyes on the signs along the road. Keep your eyes on. I'm going to use you, Wendy, because because you're right in front of me and it's just popped into my head. Um, Wendy and Vanessa used to know each other how long ago? You don't look that old, either of you. 25 years ago. They knew each other when they were younger and when their children were young. And what has happened in uh, Wendy's life has been a terrible thing, a terrible, terrible thing. But God had gone before you, had gone before you in this and provided Vanessa. You didn't know that 25 years ago. You never had a thought about it. You met, you were together, then you weren't together, and life went on, and you got busy, you forgot all about it. And then suddenly, when you need it, there's Vanessa. What an amazing thing that is. That's God at work. That's a sign in your life that God knew what would be happening. So he set that relationship up before. Now, everybody could say that. We could all look at that. Look back at your life. That's why I said 10 years. Go back 20 years, 30 years, whatever. If you've got a good enough memory, go back and plot the signs where you can say categorically, I know God was at work there. He did that. He did that. And, and in situations that didn't look good, suddenly there's something that God provided years ago and has only now just been revealed. So with that in mind, fulfill your commission. Fulfill your commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to do all that I commanded you and remembering, lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. Go with the assurance. Lay aside all your doubts about whether you're good enough. No, you're not. Lay aside all of the thoughts about how much you fail. Yes, you do. Just lay all of that aside and trust that God is at work for a bigger plan in and through you. See you, Sue. Yeah, no. And I want to say, really, I do want to say, because you are, like it or not, part of this ministry. You are part of Desiring Truth. And our mission statement is to, that's exactly what Vanessa read so nicely on our website. That's what we are here to do. We, everything about Desiring Truth, Rosie and I put it together, everything about Desiring Truth is to faithfully fulfill the commission that Matthew 28, uh, Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. Your life is not just about you. It isn't. It's about God, and it's about a purpose and a plan. Now, in the new year, I want to start. I wanted to do it all this year, but somehow we just, I don't know, didn't do it. I want to do more classes. I want to run a very early beginner's discipleship class. I want to do more outreach programs so we can bring people in to hear the gospel, and hopefully people will believe. And then I want to be able to say, right, come to a... a, a I'm not going to call it a Bible study. I'm going to call it something where we just go through the basics. What does it mean to be a Christian? I want to do all of those things next year in this place because we can't seem to find another place. In this place, I want to do them. And I want you to be a part of it. I want you to see Desiring Truth as a ministry that, you, that God has put you in for his plan and his purpose. And everybody's important. You know, if you don't show up one week, it matters to me. Not just because there's an empty seat, although there are lots of empty seats, but because it matters to me if you're not here. I don't know why, because who are you? But God has done that in me. He's connected us, and it, uh, it matters. It matters when you're not here, and it matters if you've got a problem, and it matters if you're struggling with your faith. It matters to me. 
and I should matter to you. And we are all part of this ministry. This is our ministry. I'm not trying to say don't go to your churches. There's plenty of great churches, but you are part of this ministry. You come every week. For goodness sake, what else do you need? You're probably more faithful here than you are at church. You're part of this ministry, and God has definitely... This ministry is a part of his purpose and his plan. Not just in Siren Sister, but beyond. I want you really to pray, to really pray about... Not necessarily what you can do or what you can give. There'll be maybe stuff, I don't know. But how you can pray for this ministry. How you can invite people to it. How you can build it up. How can you encourage people to come? You know, maybe they've come once or twice and then they haven't come back because it's winter and it's cold and, you know, it's a bit crowded in there. How can you encourage people to come? Do you see what I mean? Be a part of this purpose of God and this plan of God. And, and let's not waste our time. Let's just not waste our time. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word in Ruth. I thank you for the story of Ruth. I thank you for the account of it. I don't like to say story, Lord, because it sounds as if it's not true. Thank you. Thank you that there was this woman called Ruth whose heart you turned towards you and who said that where you go, I will go and your God will be my God. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would... We would meet you in such a way that we understand that all of the stuff of our lives, though it's hard and it's painful and we can't get through without you, that we would see that this is you shaping and moulding and using for our benefit and for this grand and glorious purpose you have for us as a people of God. And help us to see the great urgency of it, Lord. Father, that we might know peace through it, that we might know that peace that Jesus promised. Um, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Let us walk out on that basis, Lord. Help us to do that. Father, there's so many scriptures buzzing around in my head. Please help us, Lord, because we can't do it on our own, and we'll walk out of the door and forget. So please keep it in our minds, Father, this, this great desire to live for your glory and to do it together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.